You hear what we're saying, but do you understand what we said? Next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? As we discuss various topics on our program, we use words to communicate. Uh, we use words to communicate our viewpoint because words mean something. Sure. <laughs> but to the, the same words, do the same words mean the same thing to different people with different beliefs? In conversations or debates, Mormons will use the same vocabulary as Christians use, but their words have totally different definitions than our words are. Mormons just do not understand Christian terms as they are understood and applied the biblical way. For example, when we say salvation, the word has a totally different meaning to the Mormon or to the polygamist than it does to us. When we say Jesus, there is a completely different understanding of the person of Jesus Christ between Mormonism and the Bible. So we can talk about Jesus and it sounds like we're talking about the same person and agreeing, but that's not true. The Mormon Jesus is not the biblical Jesus. He has the same name and he did many of the same things, but there is much of what Jesus said and who he actually is that is not believed in Mormonism. The biblical Jesus is God Almighty, the only existing God in the universe. He's the second person of the Trinity, but the Mormon Jesus is Lucifer's spirit brother who is a created spirit born to God parents. Two completely different persons. Sure is. One exists, the other doesn't exist. So today we're going to discuss a few words that have totally different meanings to Mormons and Mormon polygamists than how the Bible defines those words. And we're going to begin with, of course, Jesus Christ. Yes, the LDS definition basically is he was the firstborn spirit son of God, a brother of Satan, brother of all humans and of all demons. Jesus' plan of salvation for humans was chosen instead of Satan's plan, so Jesus became our Savior and Lucifer became a fallen angel. Now we just did myths of Mormonism, and this is one we didn't cover in that, but we're right. covering it here because that is not, certainly is not true biblically. What does the Bible teach us about Jesus? Bible says that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He's fully God and always has been God. He's uncreated. He is creator. He, cre he is the creator of all things, including all the angels, which means he created the angel Lucifer. He is not his brother. Jesus became our Savior. He is God in the flesh, having had no beginning. Jesus is our Savior because only God could become a human and live a perfect life. And all who believe in Jesus alone for eternal life, Jesus' personal righteousness will be credited to them. So when Mormons and Christians talk about Jesus Christ, we are discussing two different persons, even though each one is called the Savior. However, yeah. Satan's brother cannot save anyone. He doesn't exist. He is a myth. Our next word is in the same conversation as our definition of Jesus, and that is Satan. Yeah, when Satan. we're talking about him, there's yeah, a difference. And, and the LDS would say that he's a spirit son of God and a brother of Jesus. Jesus Christ, and he's the enemy of all righteousness. And the Bible says, a fallen angel, he fell because he wanted to be like God. 
Okay, so he's not the spirit. He's not a um, the spirit son of God, and he's not the spirit brother of Jesus right, at all. That's right. just it's not a biblical thing. These are two radically different definitions. Definitions that really do matter. Now we continue to pray that our polygamous and Mormon viewers would understand that the belief that they can become gods is terribly blasphemous. That's what made Satan fall, yeah. and and that's what he used in the Garden of Eden to tempt Adam and Eve to sin against God, promising yeah. they could become gods. Yeah. The next word um, has the same definition um, that we use, but that is applied, the, the, the way they apply it is contradictory in their application. So the Mormon word and then the biblical word or definition of the word abomination. Yeah, this is from LDS.org. Their definition, the LDS, is the word is used to denote any heathen or immoral practice from Deuteronomy chapter 18 and uh, chapter 20. The Bible says something abhorrent to God, revulsion. So it's pretty pretty close to meaning the same thing. Our definitions are similar, but they actually uh, practice some of what they call abominations. We'll explain. Now, this is one of the quotes that they reference in the Mormon definition in Deuteronomy 18. 18 yeah, verse 9. When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. And that's from the New King James Version. Mm, right, and that that is um, what the Mormon definition, the reference yeah. here was the word abomination. Right. Now in reading the Old Testament, we discovered that the abominations the nations practiced included incest, polygamy, and worshiping other gods, and also worshiping the Queen of Heaven. We wonder why they dare reference the passage that refuses to indict Joseph Smith for commanding some of these abominations and making them into doctrine. Their word is, means the same thing. Strangely, the Book of Mormon calls polygamy an abomination, but there is one verse that says it might be okay after all, but an abomination is never okay. Let's see what the Book of Mormon says about polygamy. Yeah, from Je uh, Jacob 2, uh, chapter 2. But the word of God burdens me because of your grosser crimes. For behold, thus saith the Lord, this people begin to wax in iniquity. They understand not the scriptures, for they seek to excuse themselves in committing whoredoms because of the things which were written concerning David and Solomon his son. Behold, David and Solomon truly had many wives and concubines, which thing was abominable before me, saith the Lord. Wherefore, my brethren, hear me, and hearken to the word of the Lord. For there shall not any man among you have, save it be one wife, and concubines he shall have none. So the Book of Mormon calls polygamy abominable, and then he, Joseph Smith says God commands it. And this is their own words. <laughs> Yet they, their, uh, their definition of abominable is a heathen and immoral thing to do. The practices of Joseph Smith's polygamy and of today's polygamy groups are classified by the Bible and Book of Mormon definitions as being abominable. So why do they do it? The next word definition with different meanings in Mormonism and Christianity is the word saved or salvation. Yeah. For polygamists, there is no salvation into celestial glory without living polygamy. That's what Joseph Smith taught, as did all the other early Mormon presidents and apostles. And of course, the present-day polygamy groups hold that polygamy is essential. First, the LDS definition and then the biblical meaning of salvation. LDS definition is the immortality is a free gift and comes without works or righteousness of any sort. 
all men will come forth in the resurrection because of the atoning sacrifice of Christ. And in and of itself, the resurrection is a form of salvation, meaning that men are thereby saved from death, hell, the devil, and endless torment. Immortality comes by grace alone, but those who gain it may find themselves damned in eternity. That's from Bruce R. McConkie's Mormon Doctrine. Mormon Doctrine. In, now, immortality, they say, is resurrection. Exaltation is the celestial kingdom or eternal life, which includes becoming gods. Now, Jesus used the term saved, so we need to know what he meant. So the biblical definition of salvation or saved um, is much different than the Mormon definition, and it's this. Taken from Revels, is this how you say Revel? Uh -huh. Revel? I think so. Bible's Revels, Dictionary. Salvation is the deliverance from slavery or some great distress achieved by someone, notably God, acting on behalf of the endangered person or nation. In the New Testament, most references to salvation focus on God's action in Christ, delivering believers from the hostile power of sin, death, and Satan. The word Savior in the New Testament is referred to Jesus 16 times and to God the Father eight times. Now, it's the Savior who saves. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that we can, that the Bible interchangeably uses Jesus as being the Savior and God <laughs> as being the Savior. And we have a few verses to share with you uh, that shows that. Yeah, I never understood this until later in life here. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, Titus 1 and 3, and Titus 1 and 4. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And at his appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God, our Savior, and grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Savior. So in verse 3, God is our Savior. In verse 4, Jesus is our Savior. So there we have the interchanging yeah. uh, designation as a Savior. Jesus Christ is God. And what are we saved from? Now, we're saved from. That's the important thing because there's a difference in that too in yes, the definitions. Yeah. We're saved from perishing and we're saved to eternal life. Perishing refers to the final destination of the soul who refuses to be saved God's way. Now, we're not saved to be damned as some Mormons have taught, and you quoted that, and we're going we're gonna to visit that a little bit later, too. But that really is a gross contradiction in terms and redefines the word saved. We are saved or we perish. There's no in-between or any other explanation. We quote, Jesus said, Matthew yes, 7. in the Sermon on the Mount. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Now notice they have to find it. Yes, you know? that's true. There's two ways, there's two destinations. One leads to destruction, and the other leads to eternal life, or salvation. Now the difference in definitions is really a biggie. All of those who are interested in eternal matters really need to do a thorough biblical study on this particular word. And the next one, which is eternal life. It goes right hand in hand with yeah, this. So does. what is the Mormon definition of <laughs> eternal life? Well, from LDS.org it says, after we're baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, much of our progress toward eternal life depends on our receiving other ordinances of salvation. For men, ordination to the Melchizedek priesthood. For men and women, the temple endowment 
and marriage sealing, and when we receive these ordinances and keep the covenants that accompany them, we prepare ourselves to inherit eternal life. Yet none of those things are mentioned in the Bible in order to receive eternal life. They're not even mentioned in the Bible for anybody to even do at all. So what is the Bible definition of eternal life? It says, continuing without limit into the future, eternal life is found only in Jesus Christ. It is a gift. It guarantees the eternal existence in the very presence of God. Not on other planets being God, no. but the presence with God. Right. We do not and we cannot work for eternal life. It is a gift of God's grace. Jesus said in John 3.18, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. There's believe there, no works, right. just believe. Notice that, that Jesus is called God's one and only son. Lucifer is not God's son or Jesus' brother. Good point. And then Romans 6.23, you have that one? Yeah, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Gift, uh -huh. eternal life only in Jesus Christ, not in the Melchizedek priesthood like the Mormon definition <laughs> is, not in eternal marriage or sealing, and any, none of those things as mentioned at all. Eternal life is a gift um, of God to those who believe, and there's either eternal life or eternal condemnation, no in between, no, no lower degrees of heaven where people can go for eternity, eternal life or eternal perishing are the only choices, and we must choose while we are here. The next word is atonement. Mm -hmm. The LDS definition would be the sacrifice of Christ that made resurrection possible, along with the possibility of our earning forgiveness of sins. Notice that word earning, the That's forgiveness. Right. And, the and the Bible says the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf he died for our sins. Okay, so and it's, the, the, the Bible definition is so simple with yeah, all of these, isn't it? It is. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ is not what made our resurrection possible like they teach. It was, Je was Jesus' own resurrection that guarantees ours and makes ours possible. We do not earn forgiveness of sins. Jesus freely forgives the truly repentant sinner. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He didn't die in the Garden of Gethsemane. He died on the cross. The garden has nothing to do with Christ's atonement. The Bible does not say he shed blood in the garden. It says he sweat like great drops That's of blood. Yeah. word like is not a reality. It's a simile. <laughs> Our next word is scripture, and that's probably kind of difficult for Mormons and Christians to understand when the Mormons say scripture what they mean right. when we say Especially scripture. Especially when we, when LDS believe in continuing revelation. Right. So the LDS believe have four, four standard works, the Bible, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price, and the Christian has one book, the Bible. When we say scripture, that's what we mean. Uh, but but when a Mormon or polygamist says scripture, it could be any one of that's those right. um, four things that you mentioned. But God is clear that the Bible alone is his word and that no man has the right to add to it or remove from it or change it, which Joseph Smith and Mormonism has done all of that and more. So when they say the scriptures say such and such, they are probably not referring to the Bible. They're probably referring no, to the Mormon in writings. In fact, they uh, probably said this before, but they actually think of all these scriptures as 
probably saying the same thing, and they don't realize the Bible itself says something different. Something different, absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes very contradictory. Right. So what does Second Timothy say about the Scripture? Yes, chapter 3, verse six, 16 and 17, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So... This scripture that you just read in 2 Timothy uses the word scripture, and it was written down a long time before the Book of Mormon or any Mormon writings ever came into existence. The Bible alone is scripture, and all of it was breathed out from God's own heart. By the way, I just thought I would interject something quickly here, especially for those who say, and I hear this all the time, that the Bible was written by man, not by God, and is only their own personal opinions. But I want you to point to this one scripture. Yeah, this is Exodus 24, 12. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commands I have written for their instruction. Notice he has written. God wrote this, and we have it in the Bible. So, so God did write uh, scriptures. It wasn't just man's opinion. Now, we briefly talked about our next word when we compared the definitions of salvation, and that is the word damnation. So let's get into this one just a little bit more. Yeah, this is an interesting one. Again, from LDS.org. LDS says, basically, anything lesser than exaltation, which means celestial kingdom or becoming a god. The online LDS dictionary says this, all who do not obtain the fullness of celestial exaltation will to some degree be limited in their progress and privileges and hence be damned to that extent. That, that's just difficult for me to grasp what they mean by that or, or how it can be damned. This, and, and the Bible? <laughs> from, no, the Mormon definition. Oh, well, right. From the, compared to the Bible definition, right. which is a state of condemnation um, judged by God in eternal hell. Now, Jesus talks about the condemnation in Matthew. Yeah, he says, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteousness to eternal life. So there's the difference between <laughs> being saved right. in the Christian way and being condemned or damnation the Christian way. Yeah. Eternal punishment or eternal life. There's only two. There's only two. This eternal punishment is damnation, and it's eternal, meaning there's no end to it. Um, of course, the Mormons believe there's the sons of perdition only go right. to that particular place, and that's yeah. not very many people. The word for damnation and condemnation means a sentence of punishment. This judgment is for all those who reject or do not believe in the biblical gospel and the biblical Jesus. And so let's look at our next word, which is extremely important, and that's the word gospel. <laughs> As simple as that sounds, the LDS say, and this is from Mormon Doctrine, Doctrine and Commandments of the LDS Church. That's the gospel. True gospel was restored by Joseph Smith. The true gospel of Jesus Christ was restored to earth in the last days through the instrumentality of Joseph Smith. It is found only in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And that is not true. That just absolutely is not true because Jesus Christ is the gospel and he's never been lost. Okay. <laughs> now, the Bible, uh, tell, well, what did you tell us? What does the yeah, Bible I'll say, say about it, well, the, it, it? The Bible is the good news of Christ's death and resurrection as atonement for our sins. 
the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of the sins of all who would trust in him. This is from 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. And we'll read those in just a little bit. So the biblical gospel is not, as Mormonism would say, is not a list of rules and not a list of regulations and ordinances and rituals and do's and don'ts and none of that stuff. Words of wisdom and tithing, none of that. The biblical gospel is a proclamation a proclamation that what is impossible with man has been accomplished on our behalf by Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 10. Yeah, this is interesting. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. It's impossible for man to save himself. Only God can save us. That is Jesus' clear message. Now, the gospel itself means good news. It's a proclamation of what has been done for us. Uh, visualize the, in the old English stories, you know, where you see these men go out. They're called heralds, and they have these big, long trumpets, and they go out, and they, they, they uh, talk to the trumpet. Hear ye, hear ye, hear the good news. That's the gospel. That's the proclamation of the gospel that eternal life is provided by Jesus Christ without earning it, just believing it. That's the good news. It's worth heralding, right? <laughs> That's right? When we're talking about these things with the LDS or with polygamists, and we use the word gospel in our discussion, we are using the same word but are talking about two completely different things. Mm -hmm. The Apostle Paul told us what the gospel is, and he says, by this gospel, you are saved. Notice as Earl reads these from 1 Corinthians, that it is a proclamation of something that has already been done. Yeah, this, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. What in there is rules and regulations and rituals? This gospel is the only gospel that saves and is a proclamation of something Jesus has done for That's us. Right. According to the scriptures, and of course that's the Bible. We don't have to ask the question, what is the gospel, or debate what the gospel is, because it's clearly spelled out for us in those verses, and believing is the only requirement. Believing and trusting Jesus Christ alone as Savior is what saves us. We cannot add good works or tithe or polygamy, it was by, or, or any works by any kind, and if it was by works, it wouldn't be good news. Yeah, that's right. I know. <laughs> and finally, the differences in the definition of grace. Grace is the most simple description of God's method for us to receive salvation. Now remember, when we say salvation, it is equivalent to Mormon's exaltation or the celestial kingdom, but without works to get there. Um, but grace, as defined in Mormonism, dreadfully misses the mark. Yeah, this is from the Book of Mormon. Christ's death brought release from the grave and universal resurrection. Salvation by grace is universal resurrection. Beyond this, man must earn his place in heaven, saved by grace after all we can do. That's from Book of Mormon, but it's in Mormon Doctrine. And also from Bruce R. McConkie's Mormon Doctrine, it says, In and of itself, the resurrection is a form of salvation, meaning that men are thereby saved from death, hell, the devil, and endless torment. Immortality comes by grace alone, 
but those who gain it may find themselves damned in eternity. And, and this is one that we talked about earlier right. uh, in today's discussion. Notice, notice very closely that this says that he is saying that it is by grace we are damned, not by grace we are saved. Notice he says that. But those who gain it may, may find themselves damned in eternity. It comes by grace alone. But you can be saved by grace and then be damned. That's exactly the opposite. That's evil you know, compared to what grace. It's a twist of what grace really is. Let's see what the Bible says about grace. Salvation by grace is not universal resurrection. It is eternal life given by God to those who believe. Again, we've said it's a gift. It's a gift. Yeah. Absolutely. We're saved by grace, not by works. That's what the scripture in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says. Not by works. Grace is unearned. It is unmerited favor with God. It is getting a gift that we do not deserve. That's what grace is. Mormonism has a dreadfully twisted definition of salvation, grace, immortality, and resurrection. Mormonism says we're saved by grace. After all, we can do. That is not biblical grace at all. Okay. We can't mix grace with works anyway, can we? <laughs> no, and the, the Bible's pretty clear about this, so many scriptures. This yes. one from Romans eleven six, But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. So that's just it. It nullifies it if it you try to work for both, it. can't be both, right? Right. And salvation by grace is not saved to be damned. No. It's saved for eternal life. Did you notice in all these definitions of salvation and the gospel and eternal life and so on, that polygamy was not even mentioned one time as a way or a means or a ladder to get to eternal life? Joseph Smith lied to you. So did all the other early Mormon polygamous preachers, and so do the polygamous leaders of today hmm. lie, saying it's an essential. Not one single time is polygamy, or if you prefer the phrase celestial marriage, <laughs> never is it mentioned as an essential for eternal life in the Bible. In Mormonism it is celestial marriage, but not in the Bible. And Jesus is the Savior. He knows how we're to be saved. Yeah. It's just a, it's just such a simple gospel, really. It is saved by saved by grace. If if we were saved by what the Mormons say, um, working, you know, with the with the tithe and with the ceremonies and the Melchizedek priesthood and the baptisms and all of this and temple work and all that, if we were saved by those, wouldn't Jesus have said so? He's the Savior. Well, that was one of the first things I did. I think I'm repeating myself, but one of the first things I did was get a. Uh, a Bible, a red letter Bible, yeah, and read the words of Jesus, and mm -hmm. and I just kept thinking, well, if if this stuff of Mormonism was so important, why wasn't Jesus talking he about it? He never talked about any of it, did he? And I went back to the Joseph Smith translation, and he hadn't changed very much of that. Right, there were a few things, but right. it wasn't like he added a whole the Mormon gospel. None into of it. the Mormon stuff right. is in it. Absolutely right. not. It's. So, we just urge everybody to check it out. Check out the truth and study the Bible. You'll be yeah. so blessed if you do. Thanks again, Earl. You I appreciate your you. 
helping with this. You know, Amazing Grace is a hymn that is sung by both Christians and Mormons alike. But we wonder how people that define grace as being after all you can do, how they can sing each verse of that song and not grasp its meaning. Amazing Grace that saved a wretch like me. Biblical grace is amazing. Book of Mormon grace is not amazing. It is nothing more than put your shoulders to the wheel and keep on pushing and keep on enduring and maybe your sins will be forgiven. But that's not grace. That's a burden too heavy to bear. Paul the Apostle begins many of his letters with the words, grace and peace to you. We cannot have peace with God until we receive the grace of God. Not by works, not after all you can do, but humbly and thankfully accepting His free gift of grace through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is a gift, but it has to be received. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.